Thanks for listening to Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us Sunday mornings at the Somerville campus at 9 or 11 a.m. and at the North Charleston campus at 1045 a.m. Thank you. We hope God richly blesses you through listening. We all have the power of change. Just like them, we're all maybe different, but we all have potential in when God wants to use us. Amen? This is talking about people who have influence, but I could also say this morning that sometimes the minority can have a huge influence as well. I'm going to be talking today about the power of one. And that power of one is the power of you. But not only you, it is it is really you and Jesus combined, right? Because that is real power. If it's just you, you're all alone, really. But you have to be with Jesus. We see this one influence in society today in such a number of ways. And let me give you just a few of those. And we're going to be heading to our text in just a moment. And uh, But let me just set the stage for you. Even today, we see this one percent factor that is around in our age. And did you know that that elections have been won by just a one percent margin? The media can produce a movie or a message and it can create a buzz that changes the minds of people. But even less than one percent see it. The business community has changed cities and states By leveraging a tiny portion of people to move in the same direction. It's called critical mass. It's when a fraction can impact the whole. And really, this is the story of human history. I love it when Jim Collins states this. This is an amazing fact. There have been 25 billion people who have lived on this earth. And those 25 billion people have been mostly influenced by 3,000 people. Now, if you wanted to put one of those gentlemen in there, in that 3,000, you could put, of course, Jesus in there, right? Huge influencer. That's why we're here today. You could put Paul in there, right? Paul, huge influencer of a time. He was really one of those, I would say, one of the 3,000, but maybe just that small fraction that has such an influence in our world today. I want to take you to Acts chapter 17 today. Acts chapter 17, we're going to be in verses 24 through 28. But I want to share with you just an incredible story about Paul who influenced so many people in his day and age. And I want to set the stage for you for just a moment. We're going to stand and read in just a moment. But you have to understand that Paul was on his second missionary journey. He had been in the towns of Thessalonica, Berea, And then he was on his way to Athens. And in Athens, when he gets there, he even states in Scripture that when he walks into the town, there are idols everywhere. And when he sees those idols, one of the things that Paul would always do is he would go to the synagogue or he would go to the marketplace and he would begin to share about the things that God was working in him and through him. And he would begin to, I would say, debate with people because it was kind of the area where everyone would bring their latest thoughts And they would talk about philosophy. When you go back into history, you will understand this, that in Athens, five centuries before Paul, it was at the height of its art, its philosophy, and its literature. And it was a leading city in that day and time. But 
Some of that faded away, but you will also know that the philosophy still retained their, their incredible work in Athens at the time of Paul. And there was also a leading university in the area. And so I guess you could say this would be compared today to our Paris, our Los Angeles, our New York of its time. But it was an incredible place, Athens. It had some thought, like Epicurean thought. And when Paul would begin to hear this Epicurean thought in the synagogues, Epicurean thought said this. But it was by Epicurus that extreme pleasure is okay. The ultimate good is really your happiness in life. Stoic thought was also thrown out there. It, it stated that in Stoic thought that you wanted to live in accord with nature. That you had your own self-sufficiency in nature. That you had to really suppress your own desires. But this is interesting that Paul was accused as he would go into these synagogues and these areas in Athens of being a babbler. It'll say that in your Bible. And when we think of a babbler, don't you think of that someone who's just sitting there, man, they will just not shut up. They just keep going and going. But if you go back and you find the word, the word literally comes from a word that means um, bird or seed picker. And it later became known as, as this. This is, this is incredible. A loafer. And that would be one, it describes someone who would walk through the marketplace and pick up scraps of stuff and they would eat it. But listen to this, in more of the thought of, in a synagogue area, it would be people who would pick up just certain thoughts, Epicurean thought, Stoic thought, and they would parade it around like this is the latest thing that ever has come out in philosophy without digesting it themselves. They just thought it was the neatest thing that was ever said and they would just begin to speak it. So Paul... He comes in into Athens and he says, listen, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but let me show with you what I think true truth is. I want us to stand as we read this today, because I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. In other words, as they were standing and saying, this is the latest and greatest, Paul stands up and says, let me tell you something. Let me share with you some truth today. And this is what he said. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by humans' hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. What an incredible statement that Paul made on that day in Athens. And it is for us today. I'm going to pray today, but I'm going to do it in a little different way. I'm going to pray a prayer by Sir Francis Drake. And it was also prayed by a missionary named Jeannie Courier. I want us to bow our heads and listen to this prayer as we pray. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our own dreams have come true because we dreamed too little. When we arrive safely 
because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to disturb you a little bit this morning. Yeah, I remember going to church, and when you would arrive at church, the you, people would leave and say, Man, the pastor stepped all over my toes today. Ever remember that? Those saints? Man, he stepped. I want to disturb you a little bit more, but maybe in a more biblical sense, if I could, I could say, I want to start, I want to fan into the flame the gift of God in your life. That sound a little bit better? I want to fan into the flame what God is doing in your life. And I want to do that by giving you, I, I believe, three significant elements that you need to understand the power of one. And as you apply this to your life, I think that you will see great incredible effectiveness in your life if you'll do this. Now, the first one I'm going to talk about is this. The power of one life. You have one life. I have one life this morning. I'm not a cat with nine lives. I've got one life. Verse 25 says, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Let me give you some disturbing news. Every one of us in this room, someday we are going to die. That that seems a little down, doesn't it? The Bible says that it is appointed once to men to die and then the judgment. So we know it's it's going to happen at some point. And if you look at it, I know this, that for some of us in this room, as disturbing as it may be, it may be a sudden event in your life. But did you know that the majority of us in this room, when we kind of exit from this world into, a, into heaven, right, where there's going to be victory, it is going to be one of those things that we will probably be in a bed, lying there in a bed. And I would, I would just venture to guess that I wonder what we'll be thinking. And sometimes even these thoughts now, because you begin to know it's going to happen someday. And I begin to think, God. Did I really matter? God, did I really fulfill the purpose that you sent me to earth for? Did I fulfill everything that you wanted me to do? Did I do a good job? Will my family look at me and say, hey, you are a great husband? Or my daughter say, hey, dad, you are a great dad. Every one of us in this room, someday it'll be the end. Will I have any regrets? Will I have no regrets? Will I just sift through that time and it'll be okay? Maybe we should... See our life, though, as God sees our life. Maybe we should look at it from a different perspective this morning. And one of those perspectives is this. And number one, God knows the beginning and the end. He knows it all. Isaiah says this in chapter 46. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I love that verse, don't you? Because it states the beginning and the end. In other words, before God starts something, before he begins something, he's sure of the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. Which leads us to our second point is God has a plan that is specific for you and I. 
In Psalm 139, I love this portion of Scripture because it begins really with the beginning of our life. If you wanted to go back and say, God, what was, I, what was my life in the beginning? This would be a great topic right here. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, he has the beginning in mind. He has the end in mind. He knows, but also he knows all that is in between. God knows it all. And I know this, that my life and your life can have a positive effect or a negative effect in life, right? By the choices that each and every one of us make. Now, a lot of times we'll throw out those guys like Noah who, man, listened to God, built an ark, saved his, his family, and God used him. Or David who slayed Goliath. I mean, those are positive examples of what God is doing. But we never really go to the negative influences in life. And that's what I want to do real quick this morning, is take you to a negative influence, someone who made a poor decision in life. And I'm just going to paraphrase this story, but you will find him in Joshua chapter 7. Do you remember when God said to Joshua, I want you to cross the Jordan River, and I want you to go into Jericho, and I want you to take Jericho. And so that's exactly what they did. They marched across the Jordan River. They go into Jericho. And all of a sudden, God tells them, I want you to march around seven times Jericho. And on the seventh day, I'm gonna watch, I want you to march around it seven times. But I just want you to march around it once every day. And so that's what they did. And at the seventh day, they said the walls were going to come down. And I want you to take the city. Everything in it. And God is very specific. He said, listen... I don't want you to keep one thing. I want everything. I want the donkeys, the camels, the sheep. I want the gold. I want the silver. I want everything. It's mine. I want you to put it in the treasury of God. And so when Israel went across into Jericho, it comes up a little later in the story, as some of you may know, that somebody took something. And in Joshua chapter 7, it's stated even like this, that Israel acted unfaithfully to the devoted things of God. Now think about that. They acted unfaithfully to the devoted things. And we know that Achan was one that took silver and gold and a robe. And what did he do? He took it and he hid it in his tent. And actually says he buried it in his tent in the ground. And so Joshua was ordered to, to, to get the, every tribe, every clan, every family, and bring them before the Lord to see who had stolen. And so that's exactly what he did. He brought the tribe of Judah. He brought actually Joshua before the Lord, every tribe, until they got down to Achan. And they said, and Achan, he just, I mean, in Scripture, he just broke down. I did it. Man, I'm guilty. I did it. I took what was the Lord's. I took a robe. I took gold and silver. And when he took it, we know this, that if you took the devoted things of God, you were actually stoned. And they took Achan, his family, and all he had out of the city, and they stoned him. Why? Because he acted unfaithfully to the things of God. Now, before we accuse Achan of so much, let me ask you something. Let me ask me something. 
Am I acting unfaithfully to the devoted things of God in my life? Because if I am, I'm guilty just like Achan. Right? So I've got to make sure that everything that I am doing in life is matching up to his word and I'm fulfilling what he wants me to do. Why? Because I have one life. Right? Now I'm going to go into my tent here. There's some things that we find that as that we could say that is I am unfaithful in and not devoted to the Lord. I don't know why these guys set this tent up because I'm going to have to show you guys. I'm going to try to get in here without showing you the caboose, right? Well, one thing that we keep devoted is our time. It's something that we take and we think, you know what, we have it all. And actually, out of all the things that we have, we probably think this is the, most, the least significant thing that I have is time. But really, it's the most significant thing. Why? Because the Bible says to number your days aright. You know, each day. And so when we begin to look at that time, you know what we begin to think of? What's my day like? Am I so busy doing things that I am forgetting people in life? Have I acted unfaithfully to my time and I've not really honored God with my time? But you know what? I've got to look at it and say, God, I give you my life. But Lord, when I give you my life, I want to give you my time. So we begin to look at time and see what God begins to do. You know, there's another thing that we have, and it is this. It is our talents. Our talents. And sometimes we get this wrong because we think it's just those, what I'm talented. Maybe you're a good basketball player. I don't know, maybe music or whatever it may be. But you know what? It's so much more than that. Your talents incorporate and have this. That it could be your, your, um, your spiritual gifts that God has granted you and given to you. Each one is given a spiritual gift in this room. It could be one of those things like um, um, uh, more than gifts, that you, good things, your personality that you have. You know, God has given you your personality. Everything that is about you, he created and he made. And so the talents, I can even have my experiences, my passions, all those things that God has blessed me with. It makes up what? Your talents and who you are. But the big question is, is it a devoted thing that you are keeping from God? And allowing him to use in your life. Maybe and it may not be. How about this? How about treasure? What about, that's a long one, isn't it? The treasure. Your treasure. And you can say, you mean my house, my car, my everything? I think so, yeah. Is it God's or is it yours? Is it God or is it yours? I even say my house isn't mine. The mortgage company has let me use it. But God, I'm going to leverage it for you. You can use it, right? Because it makes up my treasure in who I am. Now, let me give you a staggering fact. If you make over $50,000 in this room, did you know that you are in the 99 percentile in the world? In other words, if you make over $50,000, you make more than 99% of the people in the world. Did you know that there are over 6 billion people in this world? And that with that 6 billion people, did you know that 4 billion, think about it, live off more or less than $2 a day? And 2 billion live off less than $1 a day. Where's your treasure? Where's your life? 
that God has so blessed you with. And you know what? When it all comes down to it, I have to understand this. That my whole life must be devoted to God. My whole life devoted to God. And that's where I'll find life and what He wants me to do. How many times do our poor decisions hinder the advancement of the kingdom of God? That's what Achan did. The whole nation stopped their advancement because he had taken from the devoted things of God. Don't hide from God because you have significance in life. Number two, the power of one vision. In verse 26, it says this, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should be and live. You see, the word vision comes from the Hebrew word, uh, kazon. And if you look at that word, it, it starts with a ch, and it's not, it's not pronounced ch, there's no ch sound in the Hebrew, and so it is pronounced kazon. And if you wanted to learn how to pronounce it, it'd be like mm, trying to get ready for a good spit, right? <laughs> kazon, I mean, you're kind of hacking one up, I don't know, pretty gross, but hey, if you want to pronounce the word, there you go. Kazon. Kazon. It means a dream or vision or revelation in life. You see, that here, here's the deal. We don't need to concentrate more on having like a Humvee or an SUV. We just need a DRV. A dream, a revelation, or vision from God. That's what's important. So it means, and where there is no Kazon, no dream, no revelation, no sense of our created purpose, the Bible says that we perish. Where there is no vision that you are created to have a growing relationship and lifelong personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your inner being withers and dies. Where there is no vision that you have been placed on earth to matter deeply to other people and reveal God's love and power to them, you live in loneliness and your relationships perish. Where there is no vision for a godly family, you have a 50% chance of ending up in divorce. Did you know that? Where there is no kazon, no vision, that your body is the temple of God's spirit. You're, you're realizing this, you're just your property on loan from God. Your, phys, your physical health just slips away. Where there is no vision for a financially wise lifestyle, you can live in the richest country on earth and still be drowning in debt. There's got to be vision. Where there's no vision for meaningful work, people live for the five o'clock hour. They just kind of exist. And all they do is the goal is to survive. They, they just want to pay the bills. They want to stay married. And they want to keep the kids out of jail. Right? Because there's no vision. You've got to have vision for your life. And God's plan is very simple in our lives. But the problem is we get distracted from his vision for our life. Why? Because we have taken those devoted things, our time, our talents, and our treasures, and ultimately our life. And we've just kind of hidden them away. Or we'd have the greatest sense of life if we ever said, Lord, I want to follow your plan and vision for my life. Proverbs, I love Proverbs because here's, here's, here's what we need to do. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Proverbs 4 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your eyes and fix your gaze directly before you. Make paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. And you've got to keep your feet from evil. So here's what we understand. With kazon, with that vision, 
comes focus. And we've got to focus on what God wants to do in our life. And quit being distracted by everything else. With Kazon comes passion. And I've got to be passionate about what I do and who I am. And be passionate about the vision that God has given me each and every day. I was at a Stingrays game recently. Or actually not recently. This is last year. I went to that Stingrays game. And there was a gentleman sitting very close to us. And he was to our left a few rows down. And he, I want to say, had some liquid courage. Okay? And he had some liquid courage, but I noticed something about this young man. He was, I mean, he was pretty lively. It was incredible. He, he, was, um, he was trying to get everybody to kind of do the wave, you know? Here's this guy on liquid courage. He's standing down there, and he's talking to this whole group of people in his section saying, All right, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to stand up and wave, and it's going to go all around. And, and so he, he began to count down. One, two, three. And they stood, like four people stood. So he gets a little, what, guys, come on, we got to make this happen. We got to, this needs to go all the way around. So he did it again. And everybody said, one, two, three. And, and they stood. And this time, 15 people joined in. Now, at that point, some of us would have said, there is no way. You guys, I can't believe you're, you're just not into this. But he kept going. He, and he had a vision for them, really. And he said, one, two, three. And all of a sudden, more people stood up. I had to do it four or five times. And all of a sudden, this one time, a few people all across the audience went around. And then what happens the second time? More people join in, right? And they go around and all of a sudden you begin to realize, man, the whole stadium doing it because this one kid on liquid courage just got everybody excited and they did that. I love that. Let's try it this morning. Are you ready? Right here. On the count of three, we're going to cross the room. You ready? One, two, three. All right. See? Okay, and back right here. Yes, yes, that's it. Woo, give yourselves a big hand. I heard someone recently talk about vision. Here's the idea about vision. It speaks of vision because when you sit there and say, listen, this is what we're going to do. You know what? No one's really going to do much the first time, but if we keep doing this, more and more people are going to get involved. Right? And all of a sudden, this guy, he's communicating vision. He, he, he's leading people. I don't know if he remember, remembers that he's leading people the next day, but he led a bunch of people. And all of a sudden, vision. Vision has got to be at the forefront of what God is doing in our life. It has got to be. It's the only thing that's going to give us life, that breathes life into us and helps us each and every day. Amen? We need that vision. You have a destiny. Look at someone and say, you have a destiny this morning. You have a destiny this morning. Number three, the power of one prayer. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. I want to concentrate on two words in here because I, I want to say this. It is in him, it is in Christ that the power of one prayer can be so significant in our life. It is not, I, we know it's through him, but I want to say it is in him. It's in that daily relationship that we have with him. It is in that daily prayer time that we have with him. 
It's in believing in the vision that, that God has created each and every one of us with purpose this morning. He begins to help us and share with us. I want to take you to a prayer found in 1 Chronicles 4.10. You'll find this prayer hiding in the least read section of one of the least read books of the Bible. <laughs> the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles are taken up with the official family tree of the Hebrew tribes. Beginning with Adam and proceeding through thousands of years to Israel's return of captivity. And some of us would probably say, man, that's the most boring book I've ever read, right? Let's just be honest. But it is incredible because 44 names into the chapter, a story breaks through. And some of you are very familiar with this prayer. Ten years ago, it was made, I'm going to say, made famous by Bruce Wilkerson. He wrote a book, The Prayer of Jabez. How many remember that? We read that prayer, but you know what? I want to say that it was made popular by Bruce Wilkerson. It really wasn't. It's really made popular by God's word. And God's word never fades away. It's always timely. It's not something this prayer you just take and put on a shelf and say, man, that was great 10 years ago. No, this prayer is for now. Listen to this prayer. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. All the ladies said. And Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me. And I want to put the word indeed. Some of the translations have indeed. And enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. So you'll find this man. You, you won't find this man in any other part of the scripture. Only right here in First Chronicles chapter 4.10. There's only three things that we know about him. Things started really bad for him. He prayed an unusual one-sentence prayer, and things ended extraordinarily well. And the four things that he prayed, I want to break it down as we close today, is number one, that you would bless me. Why did he pray? Seems unusual when we say, you know what, when we come to the Lord, you need to have adoration. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. God, we thank you for this. And that is great. But listen, Jabez prayed, bless me, Lord. Why did he pray, bless me, Lord? Because of his name. His name meant pain. And it really doesn't sound like a, a promising life if your name means pain. And in biblical times, a man and his names were so intimately related that to cut off the name of an individual amounted to the same thing as killing him. I love the urgencies that he had. In Hebrews, when he says, I pray that you would bless me indeed, it's like, it's like putting it in capital letters. It's like putting five exclamation marks behind it and saying, Lord, I really need your blessing right now. See, Jabez only sees an impossibility before him and a future shut off, but that's why he sits there and says, Lord, I need you to bless me. And in a biblical sense, it means to ask for or to impart supernatural favor. In other words, he's saying, I'm trusting you, God. I'm believing in you and what you're going to do in my life. And so he said, bless me. So it tells us no matter what we're going through, no, one, no matter what people have said about you, all the things that we say, we may need to pray the prayer, God, bless me. Number two is to enlarge my territory. To enlarge my territory. This was more than a request of, I want some more real estate. 
It was also a request. He wanted more influence. He wanted more opportunity. And he wanted more ministry. Right? Responsibility. All that he had. Did you know that we live within a certain radius our whole lives, so to speak. And we get comfortable in those areas. We're comfortable with going here or there, taking the kids. And we don't really get outside of that a whole lot. And and it becomes familiar to us. But I thank God that even here at Faith Assembly that we are somewhat really stepping out of that comfort zone. Amen? And it's getting a little uncomfortable probably. But really God is calling us really to get a tent peg, right? Tent pegs begin to enlarge things, right? You take a tent peg, you stretch it out, and you put it in the ground, and what happens? The tent gets larger. Sometimes our influence, our ministry, our opportunities are, are stretching out and they're getting larger. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Jacob and Isaac, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. God called him from his homeland, swimming to another area. Why? Because he was enlarging what he was doing in his life. Listen, God wants to be moving out, wants us to be moving out of our boundary lines, taking in new territory for him. Lord, give me more ministry. That's happened right here at the Somerville campus, right? That God has spoken into some of your lives. And he's began to share with you and said, hey, God, you're doing something right here at Somerville, South Carolina. You're speaking into my life. You're blessing me, God, and you're calling me. You're, you're calling me to do incredible things in my life. And all of a sudden, God begins to speak into your heart. and He sends you what? The Faith Assembly, North Charleston, Dorchester Road. And 260 people worship there this morning. But the story doesn't end there. Why? Because now people are being sent from there and even here to North Charleston, Remount Road. We had 142 people that showed up Tuesday night for the prayer and praise. Woo! Yeah! Why? Because God is enlarging territory. Then we're going to be going to Goose Creek at some point, right? Who knows when? But we're going. Why? Because God is enlarging our territory as a church. But listen to this. He does it first individually. And when he does it individually, he does it corporately. And then it's all going to be out throughout the whole low country. That's my prayer. I know that's pastor's prayer. God is doing something incredible. So take your tent peg. Right? You are taking your tent peg. Whatever gifts that you have, whatever God has blessed you with, and you're taking them and moving them to where God wants you to be. Number three, let your hand be with me. You see, we may seek God's blessing. And ask that our territory is enlarged. But then we must ask strategically that God sustains us with his hand. Right? He's got to sustain us. The hand of the Lord. It's a biblical term for God's power and presence in the lives of his people. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts chapter eleven twenty one. You see, when God blesses and enlarges, it's not us, but God's greatness working through us. We become dependent on the strong hand of God. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. 
He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Amen. Number four, that you would keep me from harm or evil. You see, we were redeemed and commissioned for the front lines in life. We're we're, we're active in ministry. When was the last time that you asked God to keep you away from temptation? Sometimes that's, that's not a prayer that's really normal to us, is it? In the same way that God wants you and I to ask for more blessing, that our territory be enlarged, that his hand would be with us, that, he, that we'd have his power, he also wants us to plead for safekeeping. God, protect me, that you would keep me from harm. I mean, he prayed it in Matthew 6, 13. And he said this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He taught us how to pray that, in other words. Jabez had one life, he had one vision, and he prayed one prayer that changed his life forever. Steve comes, I want to close with this illustration today. I think it was this last football season that the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints were playing in Seattle. And in one part of the game... There was a 67-yard touchdown run. And 66,336 people went crazy, shouting, cheering about just what had happened on that football field. And they say that it was so vigorous that people stomping, jumping up and down, that a seismometer just miles away registered A two on a Richter scale of like an earthquake. Wow. And it said on one of the the, the headings there, earth shaking victory. And I I looked at that and I I thought, man, that is neat. But you know what the church needs more than anything? They need an earth shaking victory in their life. And it starts with individuals just like you and I. We need that earth shaking victory in our life. I mean, can you imagine going to church and being at church and get excited about church, right? But it's more than being excited in the church. It's going outside the walls of the church. But it gets so exciting that all of a sudden they're calling us saying, you know what? There is an earthquake in Somerville and we can say, not really. Just our church congregation together again. Now that sounds exciting. I think it is. But you know what? I believe that God wants us to realize that we have one life, we have one vision, and we have one prayer that we can make this morning. My question to you today is this. What earth-shaking event do you need in your life for God to work mightily? Maybe it's simple as just saying, you know what, I realize realize that I need God this morning. I need His touch in my life. I, I don't even know who He is. I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but you know what? I've never met him personally, and I need to have a personal relationship with him. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's just understanding that, you know what? You're setting back, and you have taken the devoted things of God, and if you've placed them away, and you realize you need to give your life back to him and say, you know what, Lord? I need to start again. And maybe it's just that one prayer. Maybe you're going through a difficult situation. Maybe you're sick in body. Maybe it's financial, whatever it may be, but maybe you need that one prayer. God, that you would bless me. 
you would enlarge my territory, that you would, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from harm. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.